Welcome to Victory with Paul Doherty, pastor of Victory in Tulsa, Oklahoma. If you're in the area, we'd love to meet you at any of our services, Saturday night at 5 p.m. and Sundays at 8.30, 9, and 11 a.m. If you can't visit us, you can watch live on the Victory app, downloadable on the App Store and Google Play. Pastor Paul has a great message for you today, and I believe this message is going to make an impact in your life. Hey, well, welcome to Victory this morning. We welcome those that are watching online. If you have a Bible, go to John chapter 6. We're going to get into the Word of God this morning, and I want to talk to you today about how far will you follow Jesus? How far will you follow Jesus? And as you're turning there, i got to tell you something that I just discovered. In the last 10 years, there's a new group that's emerged, especially in America, and they're called the New Vegetarians. Has anyone ever heard about the New Vegetarians? New Vegetarians, here's what they are. They're vegans. They're like, we're the New Vegetarians. They're vegans but not all the time. Uh, At least once or twice a week, they'll eat bacon, fish, steak, chicken. But here's their their clause, they say we're vegans most of the time, but when we're really, really hungry for meat, we eat meat. So we call ourselves the new vegetarians. Well, the old vegetarians, the real vegetarians, they they were kinda like, "That's that's not even real. You can't even use the word vegetarian. That's not, you're not a vegan. You know, so the vegans were having wars with each other, and so uh, they said, you've got to change your name, and no joke, this group changed their name from the new vegetarians, now they're called the flexitarians, the flexitarians, and here's what they do, they only eat meat when they really, really want it, when it's being served at a meal, uh, or, or when that's the only option to eat. And so other than that, they're vegans. <laughs> and here's, here's why I tell you that is because there's a lot of people in the church today that are flexitarian Christians. We kind of pick and choose which scriptures we wanna keep, which scriptures we wanna follow. We kind of decide, you know, I'll do God on Sunday, I'm a Christian on Sunday, but Monday through Saturday, that's my time, that's my life, my money, my attitude, my habits, my sins, and we kind of pick and choose which day we're gonna follow Jesus or which scriptures we're gonna accept as absolute truth for our life. So Jesus encountered some flexitarian followers. In John chapter six, verse 60, there was a group of people that just listened to Jesus preach a sermon. And the reason they showed up to hear Jesus preach is because he had been feeding them actual meals. Like Jesus multiplied loaves and fishes. And they were like, man, meal ticket, awesome. I'm following this guy. He's paying for my meals. So they liked him until he started preaching something that kind of bothered them. They're like, hold up. You're asking me to to bend on this? You're asking me to actually sacrifice? Like, I thought I was just in this for the benefits. And so the second they started hearing something that kind of just wasn't tickling their ears, it says that they said out loud, this is a hard teaching. Who can accept what Jesus is saying? And aware that the disciples were grumbling about his sermon, Jesus looks at the crowd, this massive crowd, and Jesus was, uh, he, was a, he was incredible. Man, he was a savage, though. He had no problem looking at a big crowd and just drawing a line in the sand and saying, you wanna leave now? You wanna leave because it's uncomfortable? He says this, he says, does this offend you? Is my message offending you? Is it stepping on your toes? And from that moment on, in verse 66, many followers left Jesus. And I circled that word many, because it wasn't just a few, it wasn't just a dozen, it wasn't just some disgruntled members, like we're leaving this church, we don't like what they're doing. It was a lot. 
We don't know where they went, but we do know this, Jesus didn't chase them. He didn't call them up, why'd you leave my church? He was like, fine, you wanna go? Go. I'm not gonna water down the gospel to try and keep you with me. I'm not gonna water down the truth to try and keep you in this camp. See, truth sounds like hate to those who hate truth. Truth sounds like hate in America in 2018 to those who hate truth. You mean I have to forgive people who've mistreated me? That's a hard teaching. We don't know exactly all the things that disturbed these people, but they were disturbed enough to leave Jesus' church, to leave Jesus' message. How far will you follow? And I love what Jesus says next. In verse 67, he turns to his 12 disciples and he says, you wanna leave too? You wanna leave too? Is this uncomfortable for you guys? Is this too sacrificial? Are you just here for the free meals or are you here to follow me? Salvation is free, but following Jesus will cost you everything. Salvation is free, but a prayer is not the end destination for a believer. One altar call experience is not the final destination for a believer. Jesus says, this is what he says in Luke 9, verse 23. This is probably what sent a lot of people running from Jesus because they didn't like this. They didn't like the terms that he laid out for them. There was no small, you know, fine print. He put it out there in front of everybody. He says, you want to follow me? You want to be my disciples? You want to come after me? You must deny yourself and take up your cross daily. Everybody say daily. daily. And follow me. What Jesus was saying is, I'm not building a fan base. I'm building followers. I'm not looking to get anyone and everyone. I'm not trying to get a big crowd. I'm not here for celebrity status. I'm here to find the servants, those that are ready to follow after me and deny themselves. Now, this flies in the face of the American dream. Because the American dream is like, I'm gonna build what I'm gonna build and I'm gonna do it all by myself and I'm gonna make more money and I'm gonna get real rich and I'm gonna retire and my selfie and my stuff and selfie, 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 right? America is all about me. It's selfie-centric. It's all about building my notoriety, my fame, more followers, more of me, more of me. And Jesus says, you wanna follow me? You're gonna have to let go of the American dream. I, Jesus is saying, I didn't come to make everybody Americans. I didn't die on the cross just so you could all worship the American flag. Now listen, it's one thing to respect the flag, it's another thing when we're worshiping country more than we're worshiping Christ. When we're, when we're so addicted to idols that aren't actually Jesus. And, and, and Jesus is confronting some people in this passage. He's confronting people that are mad at the Romans, that are wanting to overthrow the Romans, and they're all about Israel. Israel's gonna take this land back by force, and Jesus says, you wanna be first, you gotta go last. You wanna be great, you gotta become a servant. I'm not here to try and make everybody big and famous and powerful and manipulative and controlling. I'm not building another Roman empire. I'm building God's kingdom. I'm here to make you citizens of the kingdom of God. How far will we follow? You know what's happening in America right now is consumer Christianity. 
Consumer Christianity, what's in it for me? What's in it? They better tailor, make the services just for me. If it's not my preferences, I'm going somewhere else. If they don't take care of all of my needs, consumer Christianity is killing the church in America. And it's all about me, 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 I, 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 my, 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 my. What can I get from this? How are they gonna meet my needs? Jesus wasn't trying to make consumers. Disciples are not, the only thing we're called to consume is more of God's word, right? So if my preferences are taking a higher priority than my desire for God's word, if the only time I get something out of church is when it's all tailored towards my preferences, something's off. In our, in our nation, in the world. How far will you follow? Jesus said, if you wanna be my disciples, you've got to deny yourself. You've gotta say no to the fleshly desires. Does following Jesus cost you anything? That's the question I'm asking you today. Does the Jesus you're following right now require any sacrifice of comfort, convenience, preference, style, desire, sinful temptation, or do we just indulge in whatever we wanna do and then come to church on Sundays and call ourselves followers? Is there any distinction between you and someone who doesn't follow Jesus outside of Sunday services? Is there any distinction? Jesus said, if you wanna follow me, it can't just be a Sunday checklist. It's gotta be Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. I wanna be at the center of your life. I'm okay with you having a life. I'm okay with you building a career. I'm okay with you making money. But if I'm at the bottom of your priorities, if the only time you acknowledge me is on Sundays, something's off. How far will you follow Jesus? In the late 1940s, the United States issued a man named William Francis Gibbs to construct an $80 million warship for the Navy. This warship would hold 15,000 troops. It would hold tanks and, and, and helicopters and jets, and it would be used to deploy soldiers and troops into war. It was constructed to be the fastest ship on the water, faster than any other country's ships in the world during its time. It could travel 10,000 miles without stopping to refuel or to, st or to pick up more supplies. It could hold so much. We have a picture of it. It's an incredible ship, but here's the only problem. The SS United States that was built for war, over time wasn't being used for war. And instead of being a warship, it became a luxury cruise line ship for presidents, heads of state, celebrities that were friends of presidents. There's your tax dollars. And instead of holding 15,000 troops, it could hold 2,000 patrons, 695 staterooms. It was transformed into a luxury liner, 19 elevators, five different swimming pools, three bars, two movie theaters. It was incredible. It became something that was never meant to be. And it lasted 17 years. What was meant to go into battle and into war became a place of entertainment, a source of pleasure. And I wonder if that's what's happening in the church in America today. Entertain me, come on, I want more DC talk. I'm just kidding, I actually like DC talk. Let's do more of that, that's fun, let's do more of that. But you know, I'm talking about the other stuff, like don't preach anything that's gonna hurt my feelings or offend me or cause me to change my life, just make me happy. Just make me happy, just give me happy thoughts. Good vibes only. <laughs> Positive vibes, please. Don't step on my toes. Don't make me repent. Don't make me feel like I gotta go to the altar call because I don't like to do that kind of stuff. I'm a flexitarian. 
right? I pick and choose what kind of Christianity I want on a daily basis, and it's killing the church. And it's not what Christ died for. It's not what Christ died for. Y'all are like, Paul, I invited a first-time guest, and this is like... <laughs> hey, listen, I love you. I love you. I love you. And because I love you, I want to share the truth with you. And the truth can set you free. I know the truth sounds like hate to those who hate the truth, but the truth has the power to set you free. And I want us to walk in freedom. And I want us to... Here, here's the point. In Matthew chapter 7... Jesus said there will be people at the end of their lives who step into eternity and say, Lord, Lord, we went to church on Sunday. We shouted your name. What a beautiful name it is. And he will say, I never knew you. You're like, now hold up. That doesn't sound like the gospel of grace to me. The guy who invented grace is the guy who said that. He has more authority than any other author in the Bible. I think his words are the most important words to stake our lives on. Well, that was pre-cross and pre-resurrection. I'm pretty sure it's still meant for followers today. Jesus is calling us to not just know about him. So many people are trading information for intimacy. We're in the information age, so we're like... Paul, I read like 100 tweets today about the Bible. And, um, and, and all my Instagram followers, they're all, you know, I'm pretty sure they're all believers. And they're all posting cool, you know, preaching stuff. And I, I consumed a lot of information today about Jesus. Information is not a substitute for relationship. We've got to start following Jesus from a true personal relationship. So there was four different groups that I picked up in, in the Gospels, in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, that followed Jesus, that kind of showed up wherever Jesus was. And one of the first groups I want us to look at, and I hope that you could kind of find yourself somewhere today in one of these groups. But the first group were the familiars. We'll call them the familiars because in Mark chapter six, Jesus shows up to his hometown. He's got a sermon that he's ready to preach. He's got miracles that he's ready to do. He's been traveling from town to town. He's been preaching. He's been casting out demons. He's been doing incredible things. And now he wants to talk to the people that watched him when he was in his diapers. And so the people that knew Jesus, they were familiar. Oh yeah, we know you, Jesus. Oh, you're so cute. Such a cute little boy. Jesus, you're so cute, but you're not my pastor. We know you. You're Joe's boy, Billy Joe's boy. No, Joseph's boy, Mary's boy. You got brothers. Hey, you got James and Jude. We watched you hang out. We're so familiar with you. It's hard for us to expect anything supernatural from you. We're so familiar with church and with temple and with God and with law that we're just not really coming to expect the supernatural. We're, we're content just uh, remembering you as the little boy. Familiarity is stifling faith in America. It's stifling faith, not just in our nation, but in nations around the world. There's a baton pass that's happening around the world from generation to generation. And here's where potentially a lot of churches can lose it. 
is they look at the guy that steps in next and they go, well, we watched him grow up. We just kind of know too much about him. I mean, if it happened with Jesus, what makes us think it won't happen in 2018 in Tulsa and in other cities? So we have to check ourselves. Is there a spirit of familiarity that I'm carrying into church? Is there a spirit of familiarity that I'm carrying into my relationship with God? Like, I've been there, I've done that, I know him, I know this, there's nothing you could teach me that I haven't already experienced. I got more out of your daddy than I did out of you, and listen, you're not my prophet, but you're cute, you're cute, you're cute, just keep being cute, all right? I'm just too familiar with you, all right? You, you guys are laughing, but this happened in Mark chapter six, and guess what? At the end of Mark chapter six, it says Jesus could do a very few miracles there, and he said, I'm gonna be honest with you, hometown. A prophet is often without honor among their own relatives. Among the people who are so familiar with them, it's hard for them to get anything out of it. I've realized this, that my level of expectancy determines my level of impact. In other words, whatever I expect is what I get out of something. The, 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 uh, the way we combat the spirit of familiarity is with expectancy. So where Jesus went, he went to places where they were hungry, they were expectant, and tons of miracles happened because they weren't too familiar. They weren't like, well, we watched you in diapers. No, they were like, who is this? This is amazing. Heal my daughter, heal my mother, come over here, cast out these demons. And Jesus was just wreaking havoc on hell wherever there was a crowd that was expectant, wherever there was a group of people that were just ready for whatever God was gonna do. Somebody asked a preacher named Reinhard Bonnke. Anybody, anybody ever heard of Reinhard Bonnke? So Reinhard Bonnke is this evangelist that goes to Africa and he's packed out fields, no joke. Two million people have shown up in one service. Two million people spread out across a field in countries across Africa where he went and preached and over a million people gave their lives to Jesus. Some of the greatest miracles and revival that's happened in our lifetime has happened through Reinhardt Bonnke in Africa. But guess what? Someone said, how come that doesn't happen in the United States? And he said, oh, that's easy because they're so familiar. They're so familiar with Jesus. There's no hunger. There's no desperation. Information has choked out desperation. Think about that. Let that sink in a little bit. We are in a nation that is inundated with information. We have more information today than we've ever had, and we have so little transformation in our lives and in our churches because we're inundated by information. It's choking out the desperation. It's choking out the expectancy. So how do we fight the spirit of familiarity? We start stirring up our expectancy, not just at Easter, not just at Christmas, not just when Stephen Furtick's coming through, not just when your favorite pastor's preaching, not just when, it's, when you're feeling good, but on a regular basis. Take up your cross daily and come after me with a passionate pursuit. So every day, no matter who's on stage, no matter what's going on, no matter what kind of service it is, I'm expecting I'm gonna get something from God. Whether the guy that's preaching is wearing a suit and tie or whether it's a woman in a dress or whether it's a guy in skinny jeans, I can get something out of God's word every single time it's opened up. So here's what expectancy does. It causes you to lean in. I dare you to do something right now. Scoot up to the end of your chair. I know the chairs are so comfortable. You're like, come on, man. I just kind of lean forward just for a second. Just give me 10 seconds of lean in, 10 seconds. And then you can lean back after that. Not everybody's participating. 
But, but listen, Jesus is, he's coming back for a church that's leaning in. Revelation chapter three, verse 16. Jesus gives a warning to the church. He says, because you're lukewarm and you're loving it. Oh, you're loving lukewarm. Lukewarm and loving it. That's a good hashtag. He said, because you're neither hot nor cold, you're just lukewarm. You're so familiar with God and with church and religion and denominational theatrics. It's all a show. He says, I'm gonna spit you out of my mouth. It's time to get hot. It's time to lean in. It's time to wake up. It's time to get expectant. <laughs> you might say, well, I, I don't know if he actually meant spit. Let's dissect that a little bit. Let's find out the Hebrew translation. Here it is right here. <laughs> Y'all weren't ready for that. Does that offend you? You're like, I'm gonna leave. <laughs> I'm about to fall out of my chair here. All right, you can lean back. I'll give you a break. You can lean back. But did you notice what happened as we leaned in? Something changed in the atmosphere. Something changed. And it wasn't even things I said. It was your attitude. I found this, that I can actually get more out of someone or something that may have less content or less inspiration or less frills and fancy words, but I get more out of it because my attitude. I just come with this expectancy. I went and preached at two different churches in Peru a couple years ago, and one I went to was, was, I mean, it was awesome. They had really good praise and worship. It was exciting. Lights were going. But by the time I preached my message, I finished, and the whole time, people were just leaning back. I was preaching in the morning, so I'll give them a break. It was, it was early in the morning. I think it was like 9 a.m., and they had had a service the night before. But there was no hunger. There was no desperation. And I had a few people at the end respond. And this woman came down and her marriage got healed and restored. But I asked God, I said, God, why didn't we see more miracles in this church service, in this meeting? And God, say, God told me, he said, it's desperation, it's hunger. It drives, it drives what they get out of a service. Their hunger drives what they get out of a service. So then, the next day, I go to a different church, much smaller, could only hold about 300 people, but they had 400 packed in there. When I stepped up to preach, the hunger and the desperation that was coming from the crowd, it was tangible. By the end of the sermon, the entire church came down to the altar call. We had so many miracles, we couldn't even count them. We had so many people giving their lives to Jesus, uh, uh, people getting set free of demonic strongholds. It was incredible. What was the difference? Expectancy. Number two, the crowd that Jesus encountered were the frauds. The frauds. They didn't know they were frauds. They actually thought they were the real deal. In 2004, this guy named Matt Emmons was in the uh, rifle competition in the Olympics. And he was lined up. He only had to hit the target. He didn't even have to hit the bullseye. He was one shot away from winning the gold medal for the Olympics in the United States. So he lines up and he aims and he hits the bullseye. The only problem was it was one lane over from his lane and he lost the gold medal because he hit the wrong bullseye. The thing about the frauds is it was the religious people in Jesus' time. 
They thought they were hitting the bullseye. They were like, look, we are following all the rules. We're doing everything right. We wear the robes. We got the tassels. Our dress code is right. We don't listen to secular music. We don't watch any PG-13 movies. We're doing everything right. And they were so legalistic and so strict. And Jesus said, you're hitting the wrong bullseye. You've chosen law over love. You've chosen rules over relationship. In Matthew 23, verse five, he said, everything they do is for show. There's the fraudulent call out right there. Everything they do is for show. On their arms, they wear extra wide prayer boxes with scripture verses inside. They wear robes with extra long tassels. In verse one of Matthew 23, he says, listen, these religion scholars are competent teachers in God's law. You should listen to what they teach, but don't do what they do. They talk a good talk, but they don't walk a good walk. He goes on to say, they don't take it into their hearts. They don't live it out in their behavior. It's all spit and polished veneer. It's all pretend. Instead of giving you God's laws, food and drink by which you can banquet on God, they package it in bundles of rules, loading you down like pack animals. They seem to take pleasure in watching you stagger. Be careful if you find your righteousness by watching other people's wickedness. Do you think you're better because you're not as bad as someone else? <laughs> I didn't have to go down to the altar call today. They did. Their marriage, not ours. Their son got in trouble. Thank God we're not the only imperfect family. Right? We find pleasure in watching other people stagger. I mean, I think there's a lot of religious cities in our nation and in the world, and there's news outlets that actually profit off of people making mistakes. So they're the first ones to pick up the stones. Did you hear what they did? Let's talk about it. Let's judge them. <laughs> I feel good judging other people for their sin. Makes me feel better. Who are you following? because it's not the Jesus I read about. If you find pleasure in watching other people fall, something is wrong. Your heart should break when you hear about another preacher falling or another Christian falling or a church that's going through a tough situation. Our hearts should break and pray and weep and understand that, Lord, only by your grace am I saved. Only by the blood of Jesus do I get in. It's not my good deeds. It's not that I earned it. I'm not worthy and holier than thou art. So I'm not gonna look down on people. There were two different types of religious people in Jesus' time, the Pharisees and the Sadducees. The Sadducees, they had to be born into it. The only way you could be a Sadducee is if your parents were a Sadducee. So it was all about inheriting a, a system of beliefs that your parents passed down to you. There's a lot of people... There's two billion professed followers of Christ in our world, but I wonder how many of them are just doing it because it was passed down to them and it wasn't actually a revelation. It was just kind of like, do this because this is what we do. Unless we have a personal revelation of who Jesus is, we'll always be following rules. It'll always be about behavior modification. It won't be from this pure, organic love that Jesus loves me. He loves me. He died for me. If I have to ride off the coattails of Billy Joe and Sharon's faith, then I don't have a personal faith of my own. The Sadducees, they followed. There was a book written by Andre Agassi, famous tennis player. 
And the book was called Open. And underneath the word open, it said, my secret life. Say that with me. My secret life. People Magazine did an article about him in his book because it was so interesting. In his book, he said, I hate tennis. Now, this is the guy that's won eight grand slams. He's won tons of tennis competitions. He's worldwide famous for being a tennis player. And he goes, I hate tennis. In fact, I've always hated tennis. He said, it was my dad's dream before I was even born that I would be the number one tennis player in the world. He said, when I was seven years old, I remember being on the tennis court practicing. My dad was cursing at me, stomping around the court. Pops, can I get a break? He said, no answer. So he said, I hit the ball over the fence just so I could get a four minute break. He said, my dad stormed off cussing. He said, I never chose this life. My parents chose it for me, but I wore a good mask. Jesus called the religious people eight different times hypocrites, hypocrites, hypocrites. It sounds like such a harsh word today. Back then, it wasn't that harsh. Hypocrite came from the Greek ancient theater practice where a character would come out on stage, put on a mask, pretend to be someone in one scene, the next scene, come out, put on a different mask and pretend to be someone else. It was theatrics, it was just, you know, it would be like if you decided to, to reenact your favorite TV show, right? So um, maybe, maybe your favorite TV show is This Is Us. And you come out and you, you, you decide you're gonna be this character in this scene, this character in that scene, you're, it's, it's hypocrite. It sounds bad to us, back then it was just like you're pretending to be a bunch of different characters. That's what Jesus said about the religious people, that there's fraudulency that's going on. They're pretending, they're pretending. It's all about following the rules. I remember growing up, man, out of the best intentions, people wanted to help me do what's right, but sometimes people would say uh, certain things that just kind of stood out in my mind. You wouldn't do that if your dad was here. You wouldn't do that if your mom was here. And, and I was like, I know, I know, I'm sorry. And, and, and unintentionally, I developed a little bit of a focus on the rules over the relationship with Jesus. It wasn't anyone else's fault except for mine. But I got so good at tucking my shirt tail in, you know, I'd go to school and I'd look at other kids whose shirt tails were untucked. I'd hear about people going to dance parties. I didn't go to dance parties. I'd hear about people drinking alcohol. Oh, I didn't drink any of that. And I would look down on people. I had become religiously pious. I had become so self-righteous. And you know what Jesus says when he sees all your righteous acts? He says, filthy rags. That's not how you get into heaven. If that's, the way, if that's your foundation, if rules is your foundation, you're missing the mark. You're hitting the bullseye on the wrong target. The foundation has to be love. It has to be Jesus. It has to be the blood of Christ. It has to be Jesus plus nothing equals everything. And when I know Jesus loves me and I love Jesus, I'm following his word, not from a standpoint of trying to earn heaven, but from a standpoint of, man, he loves me so much. Jesus isn't looking for perfect followers, he's looking for authentic followers. He's looking for sincere believers. Number three, I'm almost done, the third crowd that we see following Jesus were the fans. Where's the fans at? Make some noise! Yes! You're like, am I supposed to be doing that? <laughs> I, I, I at times have been guilty of being a fan. Fans, oh, fans are amazing. They're excited. 
It's awesome. Everything's exciting for fans. I was part of a fan club whenever I was uh, younger, and it was, it was called the Maybe Maniacs. We would show up to Oral Roberts University basketball games. We'd paint our bellies. We'd scream. We memorized all the stats of Caleb Green and all the basketball players. We'd memorize stats of the other team. We would chant. But when the team started losing, the fan base started shrinking. <laughs> we were all on the bandwagon, man. And, and, and when there wasn't free pizza, because they gave us free pizza to be a part of the fan club, but when the free meals left, the fans started <laughs> dwindling. And now there was only like eight of us, and it felt awkward, because we're all shouting, and there's like only eight of us over there. <laughs> Finally, it just stopped. Fans are in it when it's trendy. They're in it when it's popular. When you tell me I'm gonna lose my job for following Christ, that it's gonna cost me something, See, I thought this was free. Salvation is free. But following Jesus is gonna cost you. It's gonna cost you. There's gonna be times where people, they don't like you. They're gonna make fun of you. They're gonna ridicule you. You know what they tell people in certain nations in our world right now that, that decide to follow Jesus? There are 10 countries that are the most extreme terrorist countries that hate Christianity, hate Christians. So in those countries, there's a few things they sit down and tell you. The pastors will sit down and tell people in that country, if you decide to follow Jesus, chances are your family will disown you. There will be people that come to cut your head off. Oh, uh, did I offend anybody? It's gonna be painful. It's not gonna be easy. It's gonna be inconvenient. It's gonna be uncomfortable. There's gonna be times where you're running for your life. You're gonna flee from city to city. Wow, that, that actually sounds like what Jesus talked about. That actually sounds like what Jesus talked about. In America, when things start getting comfortable, the church starts getting lethargic. When everything's going our way, we kinda just sit back and we stop coming with hunger and desperation and commitment. We become good fans, but we've got to check our hearts and go, Lord, is there anything in me that's just consumeristic? Is, am I coming to Paul, to church, to God? Am I coming to my other Christian believers, brothers and sisters, with something that's not that you want? Recently, I took my kids on a treasure hunt, and uh, we went to the Arkansas River just this last week, and I said, boys, I want you to find treasure. One man's trash is another man's treasure. So they went out and they were so excited. They had three Walmart bags. They're picking up trash. They're just loving it. I mean, they were finding, Benny found a stick. That was like his treasure. He's got it in the house, mounted up. That's his treasure, man. Oh, they were loving it. But there was a moment towards the end of the treasure hunt journey with Liam and Benaiah. They got stuck in the mud. Not quicksand. Some people think there's quicksand in the Arkansas River. Maybe there is, but not, not there. Praise God. I'm not a bad dad, okay? But I was like, boys, come on. We got to go. They loved this, this part of the mud. They were so excited. They were kind of digging in the mud, throwing mud at each other. And I was like, boys, mom's waiting for us for dinner. Like, we, we had dinner plans. We were going to meet mom for dinner. And, and uh, they, were, they were so excited about the mud. They didn't want to go to dinner. They thought, man, this is, the, this is it. There's a lot of fans that get stuck in one era with God, one miracle, one moment, one experience, one type of style or preference that they're like, this is it, this is it. And we build museums around it and we honor it. It's like, God did something great in the 80s. I get it. But God's saying, I got more for you. I got more for, how far will you follow me? 
I know you love 1998. I know you love Jesus Freak, but I got more for you. I got more for you. I know you love the way church used to be. I know you missed the maybe center days, but I got more for you. You got a debt-free worship center. There's so much more, and there's more that God wants to do. Fans get stuck in seasons of how things used to be, what things used to be like because we built fan bases around our preferences. And God's saying, I've got new wine for Tulsa, Oklahoma. But I've got to break off the old wineskins. There's wineskins that just can't hold the new wine. It's not people, it's attitudes. Anybody can embrace the new wine. Jesus, when he talked about, some of y'all are like, wine, what are we talking about? I don't know anything about this, wine, what? Uh, he talked about in the scriptures how when, when God's doing a fresh new thing, the old ways, the old models, the old preferences, they have to break off in order for the new thing to flourish. So that's what he's calling us to today. The fourth group, and this is the group that I believe is victory, is the followers. They were marked by relationship with Jesus. They weren't perfect, but they were sincere. And they weren't stuck. They were ready to keep moving forward with Jesus. They were hungry. They were marked by their desperation, not by their perfection. Peter, man, he messed up so many times. Mary Magdalene, when you look at the followers of Jesus, Thomas, Judas, we won't go down that trail. But all these people that followed Jesus, they had issues but they were committed to letting Jesus change them from the inside out. They, when the Bible said they turned the world upside down, it was because they had been with Jesus. So it was community, it was unity, it was forgiveness, it was relationship, it was hunger, it was desperation. I want you to stand your feet all over this room. These next few weeks, we're just gonna dig deeper into Jesus and, and who he was and the people that followed him and what he did as we head into Easter. These next few weeks, I want you to invite someone back with you next week or. Maybe leading up to Easter, invite someone with you because I believe we're gonna find that there's so much more to Jesus and to his word and to his presence and to his power and to what he wants to do today in our lives. What would it look like to follow Jesus further than you followed him so far? If everyone can just bow your heads and close your eyes, I promise I'll dismiss you in just a few minutes, but this is the most important part of the message. Where do you stand right now with Jesus? Where's your heart right now with Jesus? I know right now, maybe your mind's thinking about a thousand other things. You've got a to-do list, you're busy, you can't wait to go eat somewhere. But what if we just fixed our hearts and our thoughts on Jesus? The bread of life. As your eyes are closed and your heads are bowed, I want you to just imagine you're sitting in a coffee shop here in Tulsa. You got your coffee, you're in the back of the room, you're, you're just enjoying a good coffee, you're sitting in the back of the shop and in walks Jesus. He walks into Nordagio's. He walks into Starbucks, he walks into that favorite coffee shop of yours and he sees you sitting in the back and he comes and he sits down beside you and he says, hey, how, how are we? Where's this relationship going? How far will you follow me? How committed are you? Can I work on that area in your heart? Can I, can I talk to you about your attitude that you've been carrying lately? Can we talk about that habit you keep going back to? Can we deal with that familiar spirit you carry with you into everything that 
causes you to be critical? Can we talk about the, the fact that you're so focused on rules and you're very unconcerned about relationship with me, just spending time with me, just being in my presence, just going on walks and talking and listening to the Holy Spirit. With all heads bowed and all eyes closed, I, I just wonder if you would let Jesus work in your heart right now. Maybe he's been speaking to you in this service. Maybe he's been convicting you. Maybe he's been challenging your comfort so that you can step into your calling. Right now, all over this room, with heads bowed and eyes closed, if there's things that you just need to surrender to Jesus right now, attitudes, sins, thoughts, feelings, unforgiveness, whatever it is, lethargic complacency, I want you to just slip your hand up all over this room as a sign of surrender, if that's you. Yeah, hands going up all over this room to say, Jesus, I repent for not really coming with a heart of expectancy with faith. Lord, I repent for attitudes, for sins, for behavior, for habits. Lord, I repent for looking at rules more than I'm looking at relationship with you. Lord, I want you, I want more of you. Lord, I wanna know you. God, I wanna follow after you. I wanna be a true follower. Secondly, you're here today and you say, Paul, I'm not right with God. If I'm really honest, I don't even know if I'd go to heaven when I die but I, wanna, I want Jesus to be Lord of my life. I'm ready to surrender to him. If that's you, just slip your hand up. Today is your day. You're saying, yes, I'm ready to be a follower of Christ. I'll promise you this. It's not gonna be comfortable and easy, but it's gonna be worth it. It's gonna be worth it. It's gonna be worth it. It's greater than following your flesh. Hands going up all over this room. You're saying, I'm ready to surrender my life to Jesus. If you raised your hands for either of those, would you just leave your seat, leave your row, come and join me at this altar today. Step out, unashamed, unafraid. Let's worship today. Let's fix our hearts and our eyes on Jesus. Jesus said in Matthew eleven twenty eight, if you're tired, if you're burned out on religion, if you're weary, if you're exhausted, if you're flagging in your faith, come and you will find rest for your souls. My yoke is easy, my burden is light. Come and find rest in Jesus Christ. Come and let him do a foundational overhaul in your life and in your heart. He's asking if he can do an extreme makeover on the inside of you. I remember when I was a senior in high school and I was weary, I was tired. It was the end of a day and I was, it was a bad day. I felt rejected that day. I felt left out. And I remembered my dad had an office on the third floor of our school, Victor Christian School. So I thought to myself, well, maybe he's not too busy. I remember going up the stairs to the third floor. I remember walking past my dad's secretary. I said, is he, is he busy? She said, he's in a meeting right now, but you could knock on the door. So I knocked on the door and this man opened up the door. He's wearing a suit and tie. And I knew everything was so important that the meeting was so important. I said, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt. I'll leave. And he said, yeah, we're in a meeting right now. But he didn't know my father that well. Because when he closed the door, my dad said, who was that? The guy said, I, it was a young guy. I think it was your son. My dad ran out of his office and opened the door and said, Polly, I'm so glad you came to see me. I said, Dad, you're in an important meeting. You're busy. He said, I'm never too busy for my sons and daughters. I'm never too busy for my kids.
Can I tell you right now down at this altar, God is never too busy for his sons and his daughters. He's never too busy for you. He's never too busy for you. He's never too busy for you. He has so much love for you. He has so much concern for you. He cares about the details of your soul. He's more interested in who you are than what you do. He's not impressed by your resume. He's impressed by your surrender. He's saying, come to my office. It's open all the time. You can come up. I promise you, you won't interrupt me. My dad hugged me that day. I didn't even have to tell him what was going on. He just knew by the look in my eyes that I had a bad day. So he just said, bring it in, Polly. So he hugged me, man, and I just hugged my dad back. And in that moment, there was just a sense of peace that everything was gonna be okay. I didn't know what was going on, but dad's embrace changed the environment. Can I tell you right now, your father is embracing you and he loves you and he's changing you from the inside out. And he says, you're my son and I love you and I died for you and I rose back from life for you and I've called you. Though a righteous man may fall seven times, he will rise again. Every person that followed Jesus had to learn how to keep getting back up. No matter what they did, they had to keep getting back up and putting their eyes back on Jesus. He loves you. He loves you. You're not a failure. You're a child of God. God says, none of my kids are mistakes. None of my kids are mistakes. None of my kids are failures. Just because they fall doesn't mean they fail. They're gonna keep getting back up and growing and becoming more like Jesus. He's calling us from a, a place of pretend perfection to a place of sincere surrender. Just saying, Lord, I need you. I need you. Thank you for listening to Victory with Paul Doherty. If you're in the area, we'd love to meet you at any of our services. Saturday night at 5 p.m. and Sundays at 8.30, 9, and 11 a.m. If you can't visit us, you can watch live on the Victory app, downloadable on the App Store and Google Play. Remember, your best days are right in front of you.